0: Um, And I hope that um, they have not been a part of that if this is their concern. And if it is, they they need to repent before God, of course, and ask his forgiveness. But I think we need to recognize that God has put us in the family he's put us in, in his providence. God is both shaping parents and children to trust him. Unless there is sinful abuse of any sort going on, God has put these particular parents in your life, and there is a call to submit yourself to them, not always understanding that, but as you grow older, hopefully there's a relationship you can build with your parents, a father and mother, and to ask questions, at the same time of being respectful and honoring your parents. So I think prayer to God, speaking to your siblings, if you're able to do that, about how... um, God should be the central part of your life and a part of the family and maybe trying to have an open conversation um, with the family or with one of your parents if you have that opportunity. Probably not if you're a disharmonious family. And so at some point, you might talk to someone trusted in the church, maybe an elder in confidence if you're a bit older and ask them to maybe speak to your father, mother, and see if it can be helped as well. How can they not get angry when they see injustice in the family? Um, I suppose Joseph's brothers were a little upset at the seeming injustice that he got the coat, and they didn't, which was some of what of the problem was in Jacob's family as well. Um... But there is a place, I suppose, to get angry. We can be angry and don't sin. The Bible tells us that. It doesn't mean we overlook injustice. Again, we can ask questions, I think, um, of our parents. Um, But in another sense, there's injustice everywhere in this world. And part of what we need to do is trust God that in spite of injustices, the Son of God was um, afflicted with the most injustice in the world. Falsely accused, condemned to death, hung on a cross because of it, and yet he prevailed. Um, And he gives us the example. I guess as you get older, hopefully you can try to also, in a more uh, adult way, talk to your parents about some of the things that maybe happened, and if you're one of the older ones, if you have younger siblings, to help them as well. I guess that would be my answer similar to that point that you had made when you asked your children, how did we do?
1: You were surprised. You didn't get the answer you really wanted, right? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, uh, Dr. Bilkis, um, with regards to the conversation that you and I had about uh, Job losing his family and recognizing that his statement was, God gave and we were talking about God gave the parents that you had and God gave me the parents that I had. And those are um, ways of which to um, respect your parents and and be able to talk with them, right?
2: So I would agree with my brother here and, and also our, our moderator. Uh, the only one thing I would add is if this is your situation, then really... Um, See the temptation that Satan is giving you for yourself to become bitter. Really guard your heart against bitterness. Take it to the Lord. Pray about it. Be yourself a peaceable influence in your family. And maybe God will sanctify this for good. Obviously, like my brother said, there are certain things you can do, hopefully. I pray you, certainly pray for you that you could do that. But let's say that nothing changes for a while, that God would guard your heart against bitterness, that you would give it over to God, and, and that you would be yourself, peaceable. There are many situations in life that we can't change. they are kind of top-down things that are done to us, situations in which we are, no recourse, watch for the seeds of bitterness that can easily spring up in our hearts. We can carry them along the rest of our lives. Okay,
1: so as a husband and father, how should I kickstart or reinstitute family worship?
2: Yeah, so that's a great question. So do it. Whoever wrote this question, just do it. Tomorrow, or tonight with, with your wife, but tomorrow for sure, around the dinner table, you grab the scriptures You, depending on the ages of your kids, uh, what I'm doing right now with with my, I've got most teenagers and some young adults, we read the scriptures, and and Ryle is a great, great book to read alongside the Gospels. Excellent. There's lots of other things. Reformation Study Bible has questions at the end of every chapter. You read a portion, you have a little uh, thoughts, you start to interact. And a lot of times, if you've neglected or if it's declined, and we've all had this, the first thing you do is you tell your family, you tell your wife, listen, I've been remiss. I'm responsible. This is declined. It's my fault. You confess it to God. We're going to start again. And you go. You do it. And you you be consistent as much as you can. And have somebody hold you accountable, an elder, a deacon, pastor, or a Christian friend. But do it.
1: Will we recognize family members in heaven? <laughs> That's the question. Yes. I agree.
2: <laughs> there's, there's a good article by J.C. Ryle on that, and he contends that we will. Now, these relationships will be changed. They will be different. We'll be all so focused and caught up with, with the Son of God. There, there's lots that we don't know, We will serve the Lord, new heavens, new earth. But there's reason to believe that we will recognize one another in heaven, yes. J.C. Ryle has an article. You can find it online.
1: Okay, thank you. How can we bring glory to God in our singleness if we don't have the full picture of Christ and the church displayed? It's a multifaceted question, so... How can we support and encourage our dating and married friends if we aren't in that season of life and don't fully understand this picture personally?
2: I'll I'll be brief and then I'll I'll give it to you. Um, Listen, we, we cherish you if you are single the The church really should do a better job, I believe, at uh, ministering to singles and, and appreciating them. And some are single and wish to be married, and others have the gift of singleness, uh, as per 1 Corinthians 7. And you ought to use that in the service of the Lord some way. I mean, everyone has different callings, but you especially, if you're single, you ought to Devote yourself even more to the service of the Lord in a direct way. That's 1 Corinthians 7. says that the married man, the married woman, uh, care for the things of the world to a greater extent. They, they have to by necessity. Uh, Tim Keller in his book on marriage, he has a whole chapter on singles. And it's, it's an excellent chapter. So I would suggest you, you, you stay there. In terms of how you can enter into the full picture of Christ and the church, True, you are you are in singlehood and by the way, that, that may be um as as a widow, widower, uh it, it can you're also single there. You may have had that experience or never married, obviously. You still see this picture around you and you of course have the church and you're part, if you're a Christian, you're a part of the bride of Christ. So I wouldn't want to say that you're you're necessarily lacking anything. You're in a different position. You may see it a little bit differently, experience it a little differently, and yet you as the bride of Christ and you see the body of Christ here. Um I, I wouldn't I wouldn't want to say that Paul, for example, who wrote Ephesians and who spoke about this marriage, that that he was any any wit behind in a certain sense. Obviously he was not within Marriage, at least most people think he was never married. There are some who think that he, he was, and that one of the theory is that his, his, his wife left him when he became a Christian, but that's all speculation. We don't know that. But uh, we wouldn't want to say that he didn't understand this or didn't have full knowledge of it. Uh, Pastor Kelderman?
0: Yeah, I, I agree. And I, you know, it was a family conference, and I thought about the singles, and I would wholeheartedly agree with my brother that your place in the church is very important as well, and you shouldn't minimize that. It's often not spoken about. And in some of our circles, because of the focus on family, you almost feel like you're an odd one out, and you shouldn't feel that way. You're a valuable part of the church, and and you can be very useful and helpful in very particular ways that God has gifted you, and don't don't lose sight of that. Um, Ask God how you can be of use, because really... Paul does say that when you're married, you have other things to worry about and concern about. Those who are married realize that. So you have a lot of time you can use to be devoted especially uh, to Christ. And uh, to reiterate again the idea that you are a part of the church, the body. You know, as pastors, before we had children, we had to speak about what it's like to raise children. We had no idea. But the Word of God gives us the guide, and so it's true for you as well. Um, You can come alongside of other people, your age group. You can um, be with them, learn from them, and pray for them. Um, And you can be a a blessing in in their lives, even though you're not in the same phase of of life as they may be. So I want to encourage you all who are single. Amen. How can I wash my wife
1: in the word of God?
0: Well, it's Christ, of course, who who ultimately does this, but he's called us as husbands in particular to also be this kind of husband to our wives. And so I would see this picture and analogy of bringing the word of God to bear in the life of our wives, to have open communication um, about all matters of life and to use the word of God to comfort her in times of affliction to ask questions of correction when uh, we may be convicted that she's um, perhaps failing in some area. Um, all of these different ways we are washing our bride in in the word of God and with the Spirit's blessing. So I believe that's what it would be to wash wash our, our, our brides in that sense. Of course, Christ ultimately is the one who provides cleansing and healing and forgiveness and and redemption. But we're called to follow that pit. pattern and picture Hmm. how should I introduce the
1: theme of sexuality with our children without creating the wrong kind of curiosity how and when that's
0: Um, that's a great question and I hope it's um, a question in the hearts of many who have young children because Um, I'm convinced it's never too early. Generally, children don't ask questions of which they aren't able to comprehend. So you tell them as much as they're able to comprehend. Um, When you're washing them in uh, the bathtub and you talk about this is your eyes and this is your ears and this is your fingers and your toes, what other organs do they have? You use the term for their organs. It's not a shameful thing. It's not a dirty thing. You're already sowing seeds by ignoring those facts. And so I think you are simply teaching and training them with openness. Um, I think you also need to convey to your children the specialness of the gift of our sexuality that God has given uh, to each of them and that God has given them, we did with our children, this very special gift that's just for you that he wants you to preserve and to keep for the one he will give you as a husband or wife. And there are various books written, almost 12 and a few others that, well, today that's probably too late, but I think it's a good um, thing to, to sit down with some of these kind of story books, little books that are written for this purpose of teaching your children about sexuality. If you don't do it, someone else will. And I've always said I'd rather have my children learn from me what I think God's word is teaching them about sexuality than they learn it from their friends or they learn it from a book or they learn it from the internet. Because
1: they'll hear it out there and they'll get misinformation. So it's best to have that conversation at home.
0: I remember, I was, a believe, a third or fourth grade, our daughter coming home Um I don't remember exactly the context, but about something about sexuality she had heard from her friend. And we're like, okay, it's time to really start talking in earnest because this is something they're talking about already. So you need to be in tune with your children. You need to be listening to them. You need to be talking with them. They'll sometimes give you clues as to where they're at about this as well. Okay so
1: when I was about 6 years old um I was sitting there watching the 10 commandments with my dad on television you know uh, was it Charlton Heston right and uh the the movie and uh Moses was put into the basket and we're watching this late night movie and I said dad where do babies come from well I really didn't want him to give me the full answer cuz I guess I didn't really know what that full answer was would be cuz I was watching the movie but he went into it, and I really just wanted to watch the movie. It was <laughs> but he, I guess he jumped on a teachable moment, <laughs> and he told me where babies came from, so praise God. Um, <laughs> how should we speak to unbelievers who think they are having a family, but are not married, but have children, or claim a same-sex union?
0: It's a tough. He asked for the tough questions. Maybe we should give him opportunity to answer one.
1: <clears throat> <laughs> Moses was in a basket. That's all. I
0: <laughs> well, like I said in the previous question, you only absorbed what you could handle at that age and what you were interested in. So, all right. Um, well. I've learned a couple of times in my own experience in trying to speak to people of, uh, as the question is asking. You can't immediately launch into, well, the Bible says this or the Bible says that, especially if they're unbelieving. They have no foundation upon which you're even coming to them from. So there needs to be, I believe, some kind of relationship established. If you have a work relationship or family relationship or other relationship, you should show your kindness and love to them no matter who they are and to ask questions. My son just had this the other day. He had a business. uh, He's into remodeling houses, and he had uh, uh, some guy from one of the places he buys cabinets from, uh, one of the salesmen take him out for golf. And as they were golfing, the guy said, Oh, you married? He said, Yeah. He said, Well, how many kids you got? He said, Three. And so my son asked, Well, are you married? He goes, Yeah. And he said, My husband and I. So what do you do in that moment? Stop golfing? Of course not. Um, But you continue that relationship with the understanding of here is someone who needs to know God. Who doesn't perhaps have the same um, opportunities we've had growing up. And to recognize that. Have pity and compassion as Jesus did on the multitudes. And to eventually bring them to God's word and to express hope and the beauty that you see that God has given in your relationships and in your church family, and let that hope, as we heard in the last topic, uh, be a beacon that they hopefully will turn to. I remember talking to some uh, of someone from the congregation here when 9/11 happened, and he said, "People ran into his office, and said, 'What's happening?'" Well. This world, when they see things that are potentially going to happen in the months or years to come, should know a place to go to to run and ask, what's happening? The unbelievers will cry to the mountains and the rocks fall on us, but we need to be a place where people will turn to because they see something different in us to hear what we have to say from the word of God. Ultimately, the Holy Spirit needs to open their heart and we can pray for them. I don't know if you have
2: anything to add. Yeah, no, I think that, that's excellent advice. I, I think um, you establish a relationship and you try to ask for their moral compass in the sense that, you know, what what gives you meaning in life and what, what do you use as a guide for making your decisions? And you just, you probe those questions and a lot of times people haven't even thought about that or they have, you know, quite, they just are pursuing what they feel like right and so you you face them with that and you if they ask the same question and in, in return then you just you you speak about the bible and it gives me so much direction you you show a better way right and you give like one peter three says you give an answer to those who ask for the hope that's inside inside you um that doesn't mean that there's never a time to 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 Express that, you know, especially if there are children involved and things like that. I, but I, I think you do have to go down this path and um, really pray earnestly that God would would bless His truth. Uh, quote the scriptures. Give a copy of the scriptures if they're open to that. And you know, it it shouldn't be just oh that's wrong, you're wrong, bye. And you 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 don't leave them with a testimony of what God's grace can do, as my brother has said. They may have had no opportunity or little opportunity, um, nothing modeled to them, you know. Maybe they have, but I I would work, work with it that
0: way. Also the reality we can't lose sight of, I think, that God's judgment is part of this picture. And many people in this country have heard the word of God and have intentionally turned their back on God. And we need to keep that in mind, not as uh, standing above those, but to realize this may be God's judgment as well.
1: So how should we handle having a close loved one, such as a son or daughter or sibling, who has chosen a homosexual lifestyle? What about when they are in a committed, loving relationship and are talking about marriage? Should we attend the wedding? How do we proceed showing love, but also make it known that we don't approve? That's a tough question too, but it's a good one. It's a lot of thought.
2: I'll start it, but then uh, perhaps you can finish it. It's very tough, very, very hard. However, um, I think what I said and pressed regarding the moral compass, you, you can't set that aside. Because this is your son or your daughter or a close relative. Um, Rosario Butterfield has a, a recent book about the the lies, five lies uh, that we need to believe, and one of them deals with this actually. And she gives a couple cases that she's seen of 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 parents. A lot of times we we wanna we we accommodate because we want to keep the connection open. We want to keep the so we accommodate, we allow this, we allow that, or it's at least not this, and so we're bending over backwards, as opposed to, especially, you know, if these are people, our children, who have been raised with the truth, and, and like uh, Dr. Kelderman just said, they're rebelling, they're turning their backs on this. We, we must speak truth, and that word repent, repentance, is though though it will sound very hard to them if they are not softened by the Word of God, that is what they need. you say that in love and you you say more than that, but you that word must be spoken, and you can't condone a, a relationship that God never condones you You can't you simply cannot that doesn't mean you stop speaking to them altogether, hopefully you would. You would still seek them out. You'd still speak to them, but you wouldn't honor that relationship. You wouldn't honor that ceremony. Uh, never. I, I I think that's very dishonoring to God. This is something that he he in Scripture never, never approves. Uh, it's a flat-out contradiction against what God has ordained. I can see that, humanly speaking, that would be very tough and would be experienced by the child as very hurtful. However, it would be an issue of a line that I don't believe you can cross.
0: I would agree um, in regard to the marriage ceremony. That's that's uh, a place that we should not attend. And, and by attending, you give your tacit approval to what's taking place. I've encountered this situation a number of times in, in the ministry, sadly. And some of the advice that I gave one a case where the son was still at home and wanting to live this lifestyle. And I, I told the parents, it's incumbent upon you to have a conversation face to face with your son and say to him, because you're in the household, you're still having impact on the rest of your siblings. You need to make a choice. You're either going to continue in this lifestyle or we need to ask you to leave the home. Um, It doesn't mean we don't love you. We don't care for you. But that's the choice you need to make. Most of the time, such individuals, as I found in other cases, are trying to force the decision on you as a parent as if you need to make the decision. They've made a choice and now they're trying to Often bring you into their sinful lifestyle and give you to accept what's taking place. The evil even often will try to punish the, the parents who are standing steadfast and uh, try to get them to budge just a little bit, as I believe Dr. Bokas mentioned in the last top, part of the topic as well. But we can't give in. We always need to show love. They are part of our flesh and blood if they are our children. This sin, however, I must say, is not necessarily any different than if your son or daughter was living in with a boy or a girl of the opposite sex. So let's not magnify this also more than what we ought to, but at the same time, to not countenance sin. And I said to the parents of this young man, I said, you should continue to have conversations as long as they're willing to talk, but every time. You must bring God's word. At some point in your conversation, uh, bring that to bear. Because what I found in other cases is um, you just talk about everything. And pretty soon what I found in a particular case, there was a same-sex couple who got married, and the next thing you got to bring in is the children, and then you got to have them as your grandchildren, and you got to buy them gifts, and it just perpetuates itself.
1: So this is the last question, but before we get to the last question, just a reminder to all of us here that um, when we're dismissed, there are still refreshments, correct? So you don't have to run out. You can still continue to fellowship, and I'm sure you gentlemen will be open to um, speaking with anyone who has other questions that they would like to ask you. So um, just a reminder to my brothers and sisters here. Um, Based on biblical truth... Is there a legitimate reason to plan for family, meaning size and timing, and using birth control? That's the
0: question. It's a good question. Um, And probably one many young couples face. So, um, when my wife and I got married. Um, I didn't realize neither did she, just how fertile she actually was. Um, I could about look at her, although that's not being truthful completely, and she would be pregnant. We know exactly every time when she got pregnant. But she also had many complications of her pregnancy. And it was very difficult for her. Now God calls us to be fruitful and multiply, but he doesn't call us to populate the earth by ourselves. On the other hand, there are a lot of young people who get married and imagine that we can establish our family in our own timing and when when we are ready, when we've got our house pretty much paid for where we want it to be and we have all the other gadgets of life, then we can entertain having children and just as many as we think we can care for. Now, that approach is not i don 't believe biblical either God gives us the opportunity to have the gifts that He wants to bestow uh, to us. Now we use our minds we I, I, so there 's no blanket answer for every person. you need to answer this question as a couple before the face of God. Um, I think in some respects there are some birth control methods that are simply off the table because they' are abortificants, meaning by taking these most birth control pills is actually causing an abortion to occur every time you take them. Um, there are other methods, I'll go into great detail, but other methods that could be used to prevent pregnancy. I studied this when I was a student because there was another student who um, couldn't hardly have children and was very insistent that God opens and closes the womb. Indeed, He does. Uh, But this particular student also went to doctors to find out what was wrong with his wife so they could have children. So it must work both ways. And so in my case, looking at my wife and how much difficulty and struggle it was for her to have children, to me the reasonable approach is, as I studied it, if you nurse children, for example, you generally have during that time period a natural... um, period of time where you're not fertile. Um, And so I believe God has built in to even our makeup as uh, women, those who are women, that this is a timed event that can be taking place on a interval of having children for the purpose of the woman's body to be restored. And often in my research, what I found is when they introduced baby formula and so on, uh, women would be get pregnant more often, which is also detrimental to their bodies. So we need to look at the whole picture and use our minds wisely and recognize God has called us in our marriage to be fruitful. It's the, one of the purposes of marriage, one of the responsibilities of marriage, and it's God's call for us. But we can do that with uh, a measure of wisdom as well. Um, so just to get married so we can uh, have a marriage bed, but we're not ready to have children, but we just want the marriage bed is a little bit ingenuous in my mind Um, you need to be sure that you're ready to take the responsibilities fully of what it means to be a husband and wife Um, let me see if I missed anything I wanted to say I think that covers it. Unless you have anything else to add. No, I would I
2: would agree with this. Um, two points I would add, but they just simply expand. One is I think we do live in a society that loves to control everything, right? And we've we've absorbed that mentality, and so we need to examine our hearts. And whoever wrote this question, maybe it's your question, or or young people as you go forward. To have an excessive desire and spirit of control in this area is, is, is a spiritual problem. Um, with, with marriage, normally there come children. Um, and indeed the Lord can, you know, there, there are those who struggle with infertility. And that, that by the way, we haven't brought that uh, into our discussions either. But that can be a huge, a huge trial and a huge burden as well. And we should certainly pray for and, and be compassionate uh, with people like that. And if that's your case, or if some, you know someone like that, uh, I think it's important to to see God's calling to have and raise children, not just your own biological children, but the children of the congregation and whoever else you can minister to. Um, you know, Each has their own calling for fostering, adopting, and all that needs to be you know, um, thought through and and laid before the Lord. But certainly, the children of the congregation—you witness their baptism. You, you, you should, you know, pour into the children of the congregation. It's a bit off topic, but uh, maybe there are those that struggle with that. So, avoid a des, uh, an excessive desire for control, and um, um, yeah, do all things just with with prayer that the Lord would. Would, would guide you. The Lord has indeed commanded us to be fruitful and multiply, but he's also commanded us to raise the children he, he has given us in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Sometimes people are more focused on the one and they just populate, 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 but you have to raise these children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. You've you, you got to keep your eye on both, and that requires time. Now for every person that's going to be a bit different and we have to be open to the Lord's leading and his providence in that area. But keep that in mind as well. Each child needs to be attended to and raised and taught and cared for and prayed for and the rest.
0: Yeah, thanks for the question. I'm willing, I'm sure Dr. Bocas would be too to speak to you because every situation I think has extenuating circumstances. The principles are are clear, I believe, but there are perhaps other things that your situation hasn't been addressed. So I'm, I'm sure we're willing to talk to you if you want to ask further. So,
1: a full quiver. Do you count your grandchildren as being added into your quiver as well? Just a curious question. Because <laughs> <laughs> You're expecting number 10, is that right? Number 11. Number 11. Well, God bless you for it. Well, Thank you. Does anyone have a question that they would feel brave enough to ask right now based on some of the conversation that we've had here? And if not, you can always uh, seek these men out uh, privately. But do I see a hand raised? I do not. That's okay. So, Mr. Xavier, would you please come forward and close us in a word of prayer? And then um, maybe we could just sing a cappella, the doxology.
3: Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father and Great Lord, we give thanks to Thee, O Lord, for all that we have received these days of conference. O Lord, we pray to Thee that Thou would give us families in the eyes of God. O Lord, give us families founded upon Thy Word. O Lord, bring Thy Word into the lives of our families. Help us to face the challenges from within and from without to be faithful, to be bold. And, oh, Lord, how we long to see our children and our children's children walking thy ways. And forgive, Lord, all the times that we have sinned, that we fall short as husbands, as wives, as fathers, as mothers, as children. And help us to bring all these failures to thy cross, you know that Jesus Christ has fulfilled it all, that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And it is in thee, Lord, that we find hope of changing, that we find reconciliation. So, oh Lord, bring us closer and closer to thee today and forever. We pray all these in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>